0: If you're a fan of music history, the next best thing to a time machine is the rare broadcast or club recording that surfaces from long ago and lets you hear something significant, like Thelonious Monk and John Coltrane playing together in 1957. That same year, five young Indiana jazz artists who'd formed a group called the Jazz Contemporaries were playing a summer-long gig at a club in Indianapolis. Three of them, trumpeter Freddie Hubbard, bassist Larry Ridley, and saxophonist James Spalding, would eventually go on to careers of renown in the jazz world. Though they were unknown at the time, they were recorded one night by two Indiana University students who had driven up from Bloomington hoping to hear some live jazz. Larry Ridley now has that recording and hopes to release it on CD. David Bryn Johnson talked with Ridley and with Jack Oast, one of the two young fans who recorded The Contemporaries that summer night in 1957.
1: The world of the 1950s Indiana Avenue jazz scene in Indianapolis is legendary. Future jazz greats such as Freddie Hubbard, Wes Montgomery, and David Baker could frequently be heard along the avenue in clubs like Henri's and George's. But hardly any audio documents of the scene have survived. Musician Jack Ost was a student and jazz fan at Indiana University in the summer of 1957 when he and his friend Leo Chick made what might prove to be the most notable live recording ever to emerge from Indiana Avenue's golden age.
2: We decided we'd go hear some jazz, and Indianapolis seemed like the place. Bloomington sure wasn't. We piled into his car. He had a Revere tape recorder about the size of a small suitcase and weighed about 70 pounds. I I don't know, but they all seemed bulky and heavy. They were tubes. And uh, so we put that in the car and drove up and he says that we cruised Indiana Avenue and saw some activity in front of George's. Well, I think we probably – my image is George's Arcade Lounge in purple neon and so we probably saw the sign and it probably said jazz contemporaries appearing. I think he said they were appearing there uh, six nights a week during that summer and uh, so anyway we stopped we got the recorder out we went in asked uh, the management and the band if we could record and they said yes so as i recall we sat at a table uh, next to the bandstand
1: bassist larry ridley was the nominal leader of the jazz contemporaries who landed the gig at george's on the recommendation of ridley's uncle the group included three musicians who would go on to gain international stature partly through their appearances on classic 1960s blue note jazz recordings Ridley, trumpeter Freddie Hubbard, and saxophonist flutist James Spaulding. Drummer Paul Parker would soon play on the leader debut of guitarist Wes Montgomery. That summer of 1957, nearly all of the group was still in their late teens, with the exception of pianist Al Plank, who
3: helped shape the musical direction of the group. We just had a, a great time, you know, and, and playing around and playing for dances. And a lot of the gigs that we played early on, it was... Uh, Walt Miller was the piano player with this originally when we started there, and then Al Plank came in, and Plank was great to come in because he was older than us, and he was able to bring in some other charts and things, but we were doing all the Art Blakey Jazz Messenger and the Clifford Brown, Max Roach songs and things like that, and uh, some of the stuff that Chet Baker was doing you know we, we did a whole broad repertoire.
1: Ridley says the summer long gigs were a success for George's. The club
3: owner was happy because we were we had all of the some of the finest ladies in town showing up and and we were playing six nights and two matinees and all the guys would come in because they knew all the pretty chicks in town were going to be on the scene.
1: Ridley circumvented one potential problem, James Spalding's on-duty military status at the nearby Fort Benjamin Harrison, by concocting a pseudonym for his saxophonist.
3: I did all the advertising and the promotion and everything, getting the ads in the Indianapolis Recorder and different places, and I named him Brother Spee Abdul, (laughs) just to avoid any kind of legal problems for him, you know, because he was not supposed to be moonlighting like that you know he was fortunate that he was stationed here in Indianapolis which is home so he was seeing his family you know but it was a no-no but uh, it's statute of limitations I'm sure have gone by by (laughs) so they can't arrest him now
1: (laughs) according to Ridley the Indiana Avenue world that spawned the jazz contemporaries was a supportive one full of modern state-of-the-art influences
3: That whole scene was just very nourishing, man. And we were always encouraged because the guys knew we were serious, and we were serious. You know, we weren't playing around, and Freddie Hubbard's brother was the one that introduced us to bebop. And it was beautiful in those days because Freddie was more into Clifford Brown. Virgil Jones was more into Miles. And so when we'd have our little jam sessions, it was like Clifford Jr. and and, uh, uh, Miles Jr. you know, duking it out, you know, and but it was it was it was a friendly thing, you know.
1: For Jack Ghost, seeing and hearing the young Freddie Hubbard just on the verge of becoming famous has remained one of his most memorable live music experiences.
2: I was eighteen at that time, and uh, uh, Freddie was a year older than I found out, but, uh, but a world. I was I played trumpet. Kid bands in high school, and, and uh, I wanted to improvise. I mean, that was the whole point of it for me. So I was always listening for the improvisation, although what I listened to mostly, and I think Leo, too, was big band stuff, is what we had been exposed to. Uh, but hearing Freddie was a real... I knew I'd never be able to play trumpet that way. I mean, that was a real revelation. He just played fine. Everybody in the band did it easy. Quality
1: music, for Indianapolis or anywhere else. Through Leo Chick and Jack Oast, the tape made its way to Larry Ridley several years ago. Freddie Hubbard heard it before passing away in 2008 and expressed his hope that it would eventually be made available to the public. Ridley says he's working to make that happen.
3: I have that tape and I've had it remastered and everything. I'm going to put it out and use it to establish some sort of a scholarship fund with the proceeds that come from it.
1: For WFIU, I'm David Brent Johnson.
0: You can learn more about the history of Indianapolis jazz on Indiana Avenue on our website, wfiu.org slash artworks.